good morning or good afternoon or good evening, whatever the case may be. My name is Beck Barnes, the publisher and editor of Cotton Grower Magazine. And uh, I want to welcome you back to the world-famous Cotton Companion podcast, uh, as we always do. Whether you are joining us from Paris, Tennessee, or Moscow, Kansas, or from any other town with a famous European city name in your town's name, uh, wherever you may be in the Cotton Belt, we thank you for joining us. I am joined today, as always, by my partner in crime, Cotton Grower Senior Editor, Mr. Jim Stebman. Howdy, Jim. Good day, Beck, and good day to all of our listeners. Yeah, we uh, we want to get started here. We've got a a kind of a, 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 a br- I don't want to call it brief, but a efficient episode for y'all today uh, here as we are coming to you in the week between uh, Christmas and uh, New Year's. So, uh, you know, we, we wish you uh, a very happy holiday season. I'm probably going to get into that a little bit later, but I wanted to do that right off the bat. Uh, and as we get started here, I want to take a brief moment to hear from our sponsor, the fine folks at Phytogen. Phytogen is pleased to sponsor the Cotton Companion, bringing you the latest news to help you thrive all season long. So, all right, uh, as we gear up here for Christmas, actually, we will be coming to y'all with this episode after Christmas, won't we? This is, this is our time warp episode. So, so let me let me rearrange my brain here to get this correct. Hey, I hope y'all had a Merry Christmas yesterday. Um, so we, this ho, is ho, our... Ho. Yeah, right. Ho, ho, ho. This is our Christmas episode. When you work in the magazine world, y'all, you, you are perpetually confused by what day it is and what month it is because we are forever working on a magazine that's a month out. And so Stedman and I are already, always in here talking about, you know, January, for instance when it's the first week of December. And anyhow, I'm always confused. This is my long spiel about how I'm always confused about what day it is. Anyhow, happy, Merry Christmas to you. Um, we hope that you are done with harvest at this point, uh, and we hope that you have your feet kicked up. We know it's cold and wet weather out there, and uh, so we just, uh, we're here to warm your spirits. We we know that so many of y'all have done Santa, the Santa Claus thing this week. We hope that you had a Merry Christmas, a blessed holiday season. And uh, we know that you are looking forward to 2019 as we are. Uh, that's something that we've done in the podcast recently. It's something we did in the magazine that will be hitting y'all's mailboxes uh, around the 1st of January. Um, it's just kind of, we've been speculating on what 2019 is going to mean for U.S. cotton. Uh, I can tell you, I just wrapped up doing my boatload of math that I have to do once a year for our acreage projection. Our, we do a annual cotton grower acreage survey and based on that data I put together an acreage projection of what we expect to see in the cotton belt. So I can't give y'all our big number of what we uh, are projecting we're going to see in terms of acreage in the U.S. next year but I can tell you that it's going to be a big number and um, we're excited by that. Uh, I have been here recently specifically looking at, y'all heard me kind of harp on it in the last podcast, I've been thinking about that northern part of the south southwest region, uh, specifically Oklahoma and Kansas. And I was just looking at this uh, earlier this earlier this morning, actually. It was only seven or eight years ago, Kansas wasn't even included in USDA cotton acreage statistics. Um, you know, and at least not the, the pieces of uh, media that I was going back to look at. You couldn't even find stats on Kansas. Uh, that was not too terribly long ago. I will tell you all that 
Uh, and, and back then, you know, the state of Oklahoma was doing, you know, maybe 200,000 acres a season. And so I will tell y'all that for our projection next year, looking at those two states, we think that they're going to combine to do just about a million acres between them, which is just insane. I mean, it's an amazing transformation of the cropping landscape that's what uh, uh, that we've seen go on up there. So uh, anyhow, that's just a little taste of a story that y'all will find in the 20, January 2019 issue, which should be coming to your mailboxes in a couple of weeks. Again, I'm confusing myself with time. <laughs> Um, so I don't want to uh, get too deep into that. We got a great line, uh, episode lined up for y'all today, an efficient episode. We are going to be reviewing the ag news of the day, as always, with my guy Jim here. Uh, before we dive into our market moment, where Jim has roped in the globetrotter, Dr. O.A. Cleveland, for a good discussion. Jim, what did y'all talk about this time? I was not in on that well, conversation. Well, if, if, if our listeners recall a couple of podcasts ago, uh, Dr. Cleveland was was with us to talk a little bit about the market and things like that, and he mentioned, you know, the uh, the annual the monthly USDA market uh, supply and demand report uh, that was uh, that was due out after we completed the podcast, and so we kind of left an open invitation there for him to come back after that report came out and sort of give us his impressions on what it meant and and sort of what we what we have for the uh, what it means for the cotton market at this point, and that's really what we caught up with him on. Uh, you know, we promised you we would bring him back, and we want to fulfill our promises. There you go. Well, we always do. We always do if there's one thing we're good for. Um, <laughs> there's That's actually kind of a great segue uh, because after that interview, we are going to bring you all our One Big Thing segment that we do each uh, episode, and this week's One Big Thing, or this episode's One Big Thing, we're going to be talking about that Chinese soybean purchase that came down the pipe just uh, in mid-December, around the 14th or 15th of December, and how that you know made big waves when it came through. Man, I, my farmer buddies that I follow on Facebook were posting about that thing. You know, we, we it was kind of hailed as, uh, you know, this is signal going to be signifying the end of these trade wars, and maybe things will get back to normal. And uh, some headlines that have come out subsequently kind of don't point to that. So we just want to review what has transpired there and what that's going to mean for cotton. So I don't want to put the cart before the horse. Uh, Let's just dive right in, Jim, with your first news item. And where else would we start except for talking about this farm bill, which had some big headlines come down the pipe last week? Well, and it's, you know, we're we're happy, number one, to have big headlines about farm bill. Yeah. And in this case, this is the this is as close to the biggest headline yeah. for, for the farm bill that we can get. Uh, because basically, from our last podcast, uh, we reported that the House and Senate Ag Committee leaders had released the text of, the, uh, of their bipartisan 2018 Farm Bill Conference report. That was released on December 10th. Uh, Congress then jumped into action and moved quickly. Uh, the very next day, the Senate approved that proposed legislation by a vote of 87 to 13. And then one day later, the report breezed through the House of Representatives by a vote of 369 to 47. Now, that's pretty much a, uh, you know, a major- good, solid majority rule on that. Uh, and it was broken. When you look at how it breaks down, it was 182 Republicans and 187 Democrats supporting the bill. So, uh it's nice to know that uh, there's strong support in both chambers of Congress for this farm bill legislation that, that's been months in the making. 
at times the subject of uh, great debate and a little turmoil. And as, uh, if, you, if you hang around Washington or people who work in Washington long enough, they will say sometimes you don't, really don't want to know how legislation uh, is, is made. It's sort of like making sausage. Yeah. And, uh, and this is certainly, I don't know if we move completely into the sausage-making phase on this one, but, uh, but I'm sure it had its moments. Yeah. Well, we're getting close. And I, and I, I watched my Facebook feed is a, good, is a great crutch for me to get an idea of what our farmers out there are talking about. And I see more and more just kind of consternation that this bill is even called the farm bill because it, it makes up such a minuscule uh, part of what all goes into this, the spending that goes on in this bill. So that the name of it alone is a, is a good indication of sort of the uh, uh, lipstick on a pig to borrow another uh, uh, political term that was used recently. You know, I mean, it's just um, it's kind of camouflaged as what it really is. Uh, but it is uh, a farm bill, and it's got some good things for cotton in it, so we're happy to see it uh, right. and ending nearing the finish line. And all we need at this point is one signature, uh, one you know, one signature away from having uh, a brand new shiny farm bill for Christmas. Uh, and quite honestly, by the time you're hearing this, we hope it's a done deal. Yeah, and, and the way that uh, this thing has been progressing. Uh, making news happens in between when we record and when it gets to your ear. So we always are like a step behind. <laughs> we always appear to be a step behind. Uh, but no, we I, usually are. Yeah, we usually are yeah. here. Uh, so, yes, we do hope. I hope that we are. I hope by the time you're listening to this, you're going, boy, this thing was done and dusted already. You know, so, you know, we, we are pulling for you yeah. uh, just as much as y'all are. Absolutely. The, uh, the second news item, uh, we're going to go to the... Uh, to the South Plains of Texas, and really sort of a, a story about dodging a bullet, uh, euphemistically, on this. Uh, according to a report from KCBD News out of Lubbock, uh, several homes and businesses in Brownfield, Texas, were evacuated on December 13th after fire broke out at the West Gen in Brownfield. Uh, now, the fire, according to the report, started in the Burr House in early afternoon moved over to the seed house and finally to 19 cotton modules that were sitting in the gin yard. The reason, primary reason it moves so quickly is that the flames are being fanned by 40 to 50 mile an hour winds, which is certainly mm. not uncommon in that part of the world at this time of year. Uh, the evacuations came as the flames potentially appeared to, appeared to potentially be getting close to a local co-op building where there were propane and gas storage tanks. Uh, thankfully, that didn't get there. That could have been a much bigger disaster uh, and much bigger problem. And, and, you know, again, nothing came out of that scenario and everyone was able to uh, return safely. But to give you a scope on this, they had 10 separate fire departments responding to the fire, more than 50 firefighters working through the night to, uh, to get things back under control and, and, and battle the winds. Uh, the gin owner, whose name is Peter Bandman, Estimated total damage to the 19 modules to the seed house and the burr house. It's going to add up to about $450,000. Mm. The gin itself, which is in its first season of operation, was not damaged. Uh, obviously, it was kind of everything was shut down for about a week, and it uh, scheduled to reopen and get back to business here just as quickly as it can. Probably sometime, uh, even as we're speaking. Hopefully, the uh, you know the equipment is up and running again. Yeah. But again. Uh, 
a potential disaster. It always seems this time of year, uh, as, as the ginning process starts, we seem to be having, we seem to see problems in different parts of the country. Yeah, absolutely. I hate to hear about that. I am encouraged to hear that there's a gin that's only one years old out there on the Southlands. You know, that's, wasn't that long ago I was doing stories about how gins were disappearing all over the place, and it seems more and more I hear about new gins uh, in the little corners of the belt. So uh, we hope that y'all get back on your feet out there uh, as quick as possible. Right. And the last item on our uh, on our little news agenda today is just really sort of a quick reminder that. Uh, uh, next coming up on Cotton's agenda is the annual Beltwide Cotton Conferences in New Orleans. Those will kick off on January 8th and run through the 10th. Uh, there's usually quite a bit of news and other industry information breaking during that meeting, and uh, we'll be there to cover it and uh, and certainly bring 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 you information and coverage of that both through the uh, through the Cotton Grower Magazine, through our website, and through the Cotton Companion podcast. Yeah, and, and uh, I'm jealous of everybody that's going to get down there and eat some of that good New Orleans uh, cuisine this yeah, year. I probably won't talk to you that week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that Stedman <laughs> is going to uh, enjoy himself uh, food-wise down there, so uh, happy for all y'all that are going. Yeah, the Christmas diet starts mid-January. Yeah, right, right, well after. <laughs> well after. That's the thing. Most people start on January 1, <laughs> but in the cotton industry, when the Beltwide's going on in New Orleans, you may, yeah, you're going to have to postpone. Yeah, you got to wait. you got to wait. Okay, well, Jim, I appreciate you, as always, uh, leading us through that brief discussion of the headlines of the day. Um, for now, we want to... There goes my office phone, which I apologize for. Um, it's real life, folks. Yeah, this is... Real life. Uh, well, uh, so we want to first, though, uh, bring you a message from our sponsor, Phytogen, our custom content editor, Robin Sickberg, recently had a chance to sit down with a phytogen cotton development specialist, Dr. Robert Lemon, and so we're happy to hear from the two of them right now. I'm Robin Sitberg, custom content editor with Meister Media Worldwide, publisher of Cotton Grower Magazine. My guest on the program today is Dr. Robert Lemon, phytogen cotton development specialist. Uh, so welcome to the show, Robert. Thank you, Robin. Glad to be with you guys today. First of all, I know it's been a long and somewhat challenging harvest season this year, to say the least. Uh, I know you've probably been getting some early harvest reports back from uh, your area in South Texas. So I was wondering what you're able to tell us as far as a sneak peek into the season this year. So yeah, it, it has it has been challenging. It, it's like the third year in a row, Robin, that we've had uh, significant and prolonged rainfall, especially in that what we call the upper Gulf Coast region south of Houston. Nevertheless, uh, when we look at the phytogen portfolio, we're really excited about the variety complement that we've had. And, and in my territory, Robin, I, we grow both early and mid-maturing varieties. So for me, it becomes 330 and 340, and we've got a couple of new mid-maturing varieties that are 440 and 480, all white strike three uh, enlist varieties. And so we're doing very well with all of those varieties, but we're starting to see where the mid-maturing varieties might be providing a little bit more upside potential in, in our environment. And so we're excited about moving forward with the 440s and the 480s, but we're still in an early maturing environment. We need to get in and get out as fast as we can because of weather, especially tropical weather in, in August and September. So 330 and 340 still look very good for us. So yield-wise, we're, we're in that 1,000-pound to 1,700-pound range, depending on how the range rainfall fell. 
Well, that does sound encouraging for sure, um, and maybe better than some people were, were expecting. So that's, that's good news, at least um, on the initial report. Um, I know quality is important too, so what are you hearing about um, the quality of this year's harvest? Well, you know, it, it, uh, sometimes we, we tend to overlook the fact that, uh, you know, the performance piece is, is really a marriage of not only pounds per acre, but what that loan value is. And so, you know, we have a rich heritage at, at Phytogen of breeding not only Pima and Akela cotton, but Uplands as well. So we bring that same sort of perspective to our Upland varieties. We want to bring cotton to the marketplace that are going to be in that 36 plus range. Uh, we want to be uh, in, a, in a premium sort of micronair. And one of the interesting things, Robin, that we're seeing with a lot of these enlist varieties is that they have a very high strength characteristic. So we're able to capture some of the premiums, if you will, on the strength side of that fiber quality equation. So pounds and, and, and loan value is, is value per acre, and, and, and we feel pretty strongly about trying to deliver that kind of uh, variety profile to our customers. So it sounds like... Um Phytogen's been able to prioritize both the fiber quality and the yield. Um, at least that's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, and, and you know, Robin, uh, a few years ago, we brought a variety to the marketplace called Phytogen 444, which we still sell uh, quite a bit of in my, in my South Texas territory. And that variety sort of raised the, the bar, if you will, uh, in terms of, of premium fiber quality. And, and we followed that up with the portfolio we have today. Interestingly enough, we do have one of the new mid-maturing varieties, 440W3FE, that has a fiber quality profile that is very similar to 444. So it's in that high premium range, if you will. So we're excited about bringing 440 to the marketplace as well. If uh, growers are interested in finding more information about these varieties and their different characteristics, uh, where would they be able to find that? Well, of course, they go to, to our, our marvelous website, which is phytogen.com. But I will speak for all my uh, brethren across the cotton belt, Robin, and what we really like to do. We like interaction and one-on-one -on -one with growers. So I would say find your local sales representative, your territory manager, as we call them, or your cotton development specialist, and give them a call. Because uh, what we love to do is talk phytogen cotton. <laughs> That's great. Well, it's time to wrap up. And Robert, I so appreciate your time today and, of, of course, your insight. And so thanks for being on the program. Robin, thank you so much. Give me a call anytime. Thank you. So very good. We want to thank you, Robin Sickberg, our custom content editor, editor and Phytogen, for that interview. So now we are going to uh, shuttle things right along from one interview to another. We want to bring y'all our Market Minute, our segment in each episode where we talk about the forces that are shaping the cotton market and the price that you guys are seeing for cotton out there. And so this week's Market Minute segment features our old friend, Dr. O.A. Cleveland, as I mentioned to y'all earlier. Jim recently had the chance to sit down with Dr. Cleveland. He is very smart professor emeritus of economics at Mississippi State University. So we want to bring that to you right this minute. with our final Market Minute segment for 2018, and as we uh, sort of promised a few weeks ago, we're joined again by Dr. O.A. Cleveland, Professor Emeritus of Agricultural Economics at Mississippi State University. O.A., we said we wanted to get you back after the December supply and demand report from USDA dropped, so again, we thank you for joining us uh, in this little segment. Well, it's my pleasure, of course. Okay, great. Um, let's start with the December report. Uh, now, to my untrained eye, it 
looks like USDA raised numbers for U.S. production and ending stocks, but lowered numbers for the rest of the world. Uh, did that kind of come as a surprise, and, and how did the market react to it? Well, the very initial reaction to the market was negative, but the market climbed back just uh, almost immediately. Yeah, I, I really can't say it was a surprise because we were expecting a drop in India, and that should be a pretty small, I mean, a pretty significant drop. The USDA did come forward and drop that a million bales, but we still think USDA's got another billion bales to take out of India. They're looking at a crop that's going, going to be their lowest in 10 years, and there are some analysts that are carrying that crop at about 25.3 million bales, which would mean that USDA's got to knock at least two more, uh, two million bales out of their current estimate. And that's uh, going to be pretty tough for them to do. So the market did receive some boost in that. Uh, the uh, crop increase we did see in the United States, that was a surprise to a number of folks. But it came out of Texas, 180,000 uh, bales more. It came out of the coastal Bend area, which we would have thought was all said and done. Uh, so it makes us tend to think that there was a, a number missed somewhere along the line. Uh, but it doesn't matter that uh, Texas, with the variety, seed varieties they have, the, the genetics across the board, have been remarkable, and that's just a, a, a sight there. But we need to continue to watch India very closely. Uh, and additionally, we may see some more uh, some more drop uh, or additional dropping of the Chinese crop. But I think probably the U.S. crop is pretty much done, though we'll probably gin into March out in Texas, and we'll go into January in the Mid-South, Jenny. That's what I understand. Looking at India real quick, I know India in the past, when their numbers have not, not reached their expectation, they basically shut down any type of export market that they have. Uh, do you see them doing that again? Is there a possibility they may turn around and, and need to import cotton? Well, uh, there's a real chance you uh, hit the nail on the head when saying that they they just uh, stopped their exports. India is well known for just one day waking up and saying no more exports leave this country, not a single bale. Uh, and Bang, excuse me, um, Pakistan has bought a, a large amount of cotton. Uh, they had a smaller crop than they expected, uh, and they bought over a million bales from India. So if that uh, if India cuts off any of that. By and large, to the extent the Pakistanis can get it, they'll come to the U.S. because other growth's starting to get short uh, in supply simply because everybody is, uh, most everybody's buying cotton. That's a non-U.S. origin. Part of the reason is being that there's, for the most part, again, hand-to-mouth buying. There's not much forward buying because of the uncertainty of the market. But additionally, what we're we're also seeing is the uh, we're starting to see a, a slowing of demand uh, across Europe. We're seeing it in Asia as well, and uh, that's uh, uh, that 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 has the textile mills a little bit nervous at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, Owen, oh, in your most recent article that 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 you wrote last week, you you described the trading range for cotton right now as being locked in place, and that's primarily due to this uncertainty that continues surrounding tariffs. Uh, is there anything out there, do you see anything out there that can kind of pump the market up even a little bit here in the short term? Well, yes, actually, we we, we, we do. In, in the short term, excuse me, I was thinking before you finished. In the short term, I... I, I actually don't see anything coming down the pipe between then now and, say, the Beltwide first week in January. 
we could possibly get a get a, uh, a cooling off sale to China based on that 90 day agreement, but I don't know that uh, that's anticipated. It may be something that just jumps out of the air and hits us, but uh, I would doubt if it would be of a, a, a size that's great enough to be a shock in the market. We can we can still go up to 81, nearly 82 cents, and still be in this trading range that we're in. Uh, granted, that would be the very upper end of the trading range, but it's uh, it is in place. We did that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, made a, a run at it. So, uh, in, in the near term, not so much. But as we get into March, and this India plate can become extremely important. Uh, additionally, uh, again, as I said, Pakistani crop was smaller. They had they bought a lot of cotton. If we start seeing uh, the package begin to buy U.S. cotton, we'll also probably see India buy U.S. cotton. And if India does come into our export market, that would be a strong boost. Great, great. Uh, since this is our last episode of the Cotton Companion for 2018, uh, it's kind of been a crazy year in terms of, of the cotton market price. Do uh, you have any overall thoughts on, on the, this crazy ride we've been on this year? Well, I, I certainly was applauded uh, announced. I did make the assumption that uh, we would have uh, any Chinese textile and apparel goods that came into the country, and we've not done that, and that's how China's been able to circumvent our, our, our attempt to, to, to bring them back into a fair play situation. Uh, I think what we're going to see, I think we'll see, based on other prices of competing crops, we'll see an increase in cotton acreage this year. I would anticipate it. To be, well, first, we at total planting last year were about 14.01 million acres, and I would look for 14.3 to 14.5, probably closer to, uh, well, just let's just say in that range. We'll see, we'll, we're seeing people that had been in cotton at a, as of today are planning on, uh, had been in cotton in four years and coming back in, so we'll see some of that. Uh, we'll see a little bit of increase even in Texas, though we had a pretty strong last year. We've got uh, the one that tells us that hang with El Nino this year, so that tells us that we're going to have terrific moisture in Texas, and if they get that big hit, uh, our uh, long-time mentor for all of us in the industry, Billy Donald, always says, watch Texas when they have water, when they have subsoil. So this could be a huge crop. People are already talking about 24 million bales, and that's going to uh, put a little hickey on the market. So we need to look at the new crop December uh, 2019 December and think about price of some of that crop now. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Oh, hey, as usual, uh, great input, great insight as we wrap up this year. Uh, thanks again for joining us. I look forward to seeing you personally at the Beltwide Conference here in a few weeks. My pleasure. Great. All right. Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back with the rest of this episode of the Cotton Companion. All right, so finally, our One Big Thing segment, uh, where each week we talk about one big headline that has kind of caught our eye uh, since our last episode. And this time, I wanted to talk to you all about a headline that I saw. I keep bringing up seeing things. Gosh, if it wasn't for Facebook, I wouldn't have anything to talk about. But I kept seeing this story (laughs) shared uh, on my Facebook feed the last week about this Chinese soybean purchase that came down the pipe. And I want to talk about what that did or did not signal. Um, I was actually visiting 
with my farming or long time long time farm manager stepdad, uh, and he's when he saw this headline come across his phone and he goes, oh, I bet uh, you know prices would be limit up tomorrow when the market's open and. And uh, I think what we discovered, unfortunately, is we all expected that to happen, but I don't know that it did. So uh, just to recap, what we saw was on Thursday, U.S. officials, Thursday, December 13, uh, U.S. officials were hailing this Chinese purchase of 1.13 million tons of U.S. soybeans, uh, saying that this was, uh, U.S. officials were saying this was a great step, uh, but it remained uncertain if a broader deal would follow. And so... um, you, you had uh, Steve Sinsky, a, a, deputary, a deputy secretary, rather, of the U.S. Department of Ag, saying uh, having a million or a million and a half tons is great. It's wonderful. It's a great step. But there needs to be a lot more done, uh, especially if you consider it in a normal, typical year, we, we would be selling 30 to 35 million metric tons of soybeans to China. Uh, so, you know, you had analysts saying from the jump, you could tell from his comments there, it was cautious, measured optimism about this thing. Analysts were saying uh, not to interpret it as a sign that the trade war was cooling at that time. So it was a much anticipated move following a truce reached by President Donald Trump and his counterpart, President Z, which I know how to pronounce because of my counterpart, Jim Stedman here, who pronounced it in last week's episode. I was very impressed with his pronunciation. So, uh, it's all the Chinese I know. Yeah, exactly. That's, 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 you speak for the both of us. So Trump and Z had this meeting in early December, and ostensibly they reached this trade truce. And so the next sort of item that or the next sort of headline following that was this soybean purchase so you can see how people were quick to you know uh, optimistically look at that as as kind of a game changer so uh, just to reset things this trade war started back in January over US claims that China engages in unfair claim or rather unfair trade practices such as intellectual property theft that's something that we have seen in the ag market um it, w- it uh, has seen the two countries levy tit-for-tat tariffs on hundreds of billions of dollars of goods, notably cars and soybeans. Uh, earlier this month, uh, the two sides agreed to postpone any further increases pending negotiations. U.S. officials also said China had committed to major purchases of U.S. goods and reducing the tariffs on U.S.-made cars. And again, this soybean purchase was kind of the first signal that, that these things were coming to fruition. Uh, by the way, I should cite my source here. I'm reading from a BBC report, a BBC News report that sort of summarized the events of last week. Uh, China is by far the world's biggest importer of soybeans, accounting for some 60% of the global trade in that particular commodity last year. Um, the country, uh, let me see, I'm a, I want to make sure I'm quoting. I'm not. Okay, the country which uses the crop to feed li- to feed livestock has historically relied on supplies from both the U.S. and Brazil due to the seasonality. Obviously, one of those countries is Northern Hemisphere, the other is Southern Hemisphere, so they uh, utilize both at different times of the year. Purchases from U.S. farmers, who are obviously an important part of Mr. Trump's political base, per the BBC News, have plummeted since the trade war began. Um, The Chinese know what they're doing there uh, with, with that the things that they are targeting. So ultimately what you have here is analysts saying that this was, uh, with this purchase, it was uh, a drop in the bucket of what an annual uh, spend or rather an annual soybean purchase would be. In fact, by the end of last week, on Friday of last week when this happened, uh, the price of soybean had dropped 
closed at 14 cents lower on Friday the 14th. So our context here is that um, I know that a lot of you would have read this story thinking that maybe this signifies a uptick in business, not only for soybeans, but in our crop too. Uh, uh, cotton purchases in China, where I believe things have been lagging uh, this year. And uh, unfortunately, you know, maybe it will be the tip of an iceberg. You know, we're, nobody is a, a soothsayer here, but it does not look like that is the case. And, and for our purposes, I mentioned earlier, uh, Stebman knows that I had myself locked in this office last week trying to do <laughs> this math for this acreage survey. But for Cotton's purposes, the way this thing is going to affect us most is it seems like those of you, particularly in the Mid-South, where these two crops fight for uh acre market share uh, more than any other two. Uh, cotton is just penciling out better than soybeans right now. And so we are going to, I can tell you that uh, we are projecting quite an uptick in acreage in the Mid-South next year. And the farmers who I have quotes from are saying that this is one of the big reasons. That both markets are shaky, but uh, soybeans appear to be uh, let more shaky than, than cotton at the moment. So that's where we are. Well, I, th- I think one thing to keep in mind on this is is the situation with soybeans really kind of mirrors what happened with the cotton price and the cotton market in those two days following the uh, the meeting between uh, between President Trump and President Z, uh, when they declared we're going into a 90-day uh, moratorium. Uh, within 24 hours, cotton price moved up from that sort of 78, 79 cent range where it had been where we've been stuck for the last three months uh, moved up and you know, I think touched 80 cents and 24 hours later after realizing that not much was going to come from this that, that there was still just very much too much dialogue and not enough action uh, price dropped right back down again uh, I think one of the things that uh, is possibly causing a little concern or a little disappointment and and to USDA's credit, they're still fighting hard for this. Is there was an announcement was supposed to be made in early December about the second payment in this market reconciliation program that uh, that was announced to help offset some of the losses that growers would be could be suffering from from the tariffs. Uh, that announcement has yet to be made, and there are indications uh, from from folks within the White House. That, uh, that possibly because the sale or potential sale of soybeans is imminent, that uh, that, that announcement, the second half of that program, may be delayed. Uh, USDA Secretary uh, Purdue and his staff are actively fighting, working hard to, uh, to make sure that that program continues, that, uh, uh, you know, and they're, they're keeping their fingers crossed that maybe, you know, Shortly here, within the next couple of weeks, they'll be able to get some things worked out and get that program back on track. So, uh, you know, because I don't, we're definitely not out of the woods when it comes to this tariff situation. And every little bit helps, uh, particularly as you start looking to 2019 and, uh, and what growers are going to need to do to get up and running and, and, and producing, particularly in areas finally like Texas, who are going to be starting the season with great, great groundwater, uh, ground moisture, to uh, you know, to get a crop in and get it up quickly. So, uh, fingers crossed. It's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, yeah. Again, I just kind of round out this conversation about this soybean purchase that happened last week. You have uh, market analysts uh, say some at uh, ING Bank, for example, 
saying that they think the purchase on Thursday uh, is more about convenience for the Chinese than you know sig- signaling some cooling period from this trade war. He says the simple fact is that China needs a lot of soybeans and it's been buying them from Brazil and not the U.S., but Brazil could never supply all of the soybeans that China needs, so ultimately they've been driven back to U.S. soybeans, and it's just a matter of convenience for them to do that right now in this moment. So that's something else we're keeping an eye on. We know that so many of y'all plant both, or so many of y'all, uh, it's zero-sum, one or the other. So, uh, you know, we we watch, we do watch uh, other row crops here at this magazine, too, So because we know that y'all, that's part of y'all's business profile. Yeah, so and, and particularly in this case, what happens with one crop is definitely impacts the other. Yeah, so we'll keep an eye on it. Now, all right, so that is going to just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. We want to thank uh, Dr. O.A. Cleveland one last time for taking uh, time out of his busy schedule to talk to us. Y'all know better than we do, O.A. is a great friend of American Cotton, and uh, we appreciate his time and efforts. Uh, once again, we want to thank our sponsors, Phytogen, and we thank you, dear listener, for uh, joining us. As always, if you like what you're hearing, by all means, tell your buddies about this podcast. They can get to us in three easy ways. The first is the URL cottongrower.com forward slash companion. Type that into your search bar and uh, it will bring you to a landing page that features all 38 now of our episodes. The second way is by subscribing to our channel on iTunes. If you are familiar with iTunes, you got an Apple smartphone, go ahead, subscribe to our channel, uh, search for the Cotton Companion in the podcast app there. You'll see us, subscribe us, leave us a rating, let us know what you think of the podcast. The third and best way to make sure you receive each installment of the Cotton Companion is to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter. Jim here works hard to pack that with all of the relevant news of the day, and uh, they hit your email inbox like clockwork every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to www.cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, make sure to follow us on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter, and on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. We hope that you are enjoying our latest issue, which right now is the December issue. You will be looking, or we hope that you'll find, we hope that you will be looking for, we know you will find, the January issue of Cotton Grower in your mailboxes here around that start of that second week of January into that second week. So, this podcast is produced by Mr. Tyler Hatch. He works at the Mothership Meister Media Worldwide in beautiful Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I will be back with you in two weeks. There's a phone again. It's busy. It's a busy day here in Memphis. Uh, we will be back with you in two weeks on the next episode of The Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own Cotton Companion, Mr. Jim Stedman, we wish you and your farm all the best. Phytogen thanks you for listening to this edition of The Cotton Companion. To learn how you can thrive with Phytogen, go to phytogen.com. <laughs>